0: What's up? It's Kev with Atmosphere FC, and in today's video, I'll be interviewing my Boston College right-hand man, Sachi's Pachi's Hot, ex-Red Bull player, head coach at FC Motown, and assistant coach at Fordham University. What's good, dog? How you feeling? Kev,
1: man, it's so good to see you, bro. Talk to you.
0: As you know, bro, I want to start a platform uh, where I can speak not just soccer, but soccer in America specifically. And I feel for the sake of this podcast and for the growth of this podcast, I had to start close to home you know, with people that I know, people I feel comfortable talking soccer with, people that I know, you know, are in the same wavelength when it comes to the game of soccer that I want to elevate the sport here in America. You're someone that, bro, has accomplished it all. You've climbed up every single ladder. You were successful at every single level. You went onto to the pros, signed a homegrown contract with your home team, bro. That's GOAT. Like the fact that you did that Man, and on top of that you still went on to Germany. Um you also had a good run with the national team. So yeah, man, I, I felt like you were someone that I had to tap in with and just bounce ideas and I'm
1: always down for a good chat.
0: So yeah. for people that don't know, uh me and Sachi met in 2009 at Boston College. We both went to the same D1 program. Uh, we were both center backs at that program. And we were whoa,
1: both whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> came in as a forward and yeah. converted to a center back. Yeah, you man. were a, a goal scorer, rocket of a shot, and then became a center back. We was nice back there, bro.
0: The only compliment Ed Kelly gave me in my four year career was like, yo, you two guys in the center back could be the best passing center back in the country. And and athleticism
1: said, was zero, though. <laughs> athleticism
0: zero. bro. slowest center backs in the ACC for sure. And don't forget to
1: mention we we're roommates, too.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. We actually were roommates a whole year. Uh, you actually left early to sign a homegrown contract with the Red Bulls. But in that year, you know, we had we had one. We had a good year, soccer year. We had a good team, seven, eight freshmen on that on that team. And six of us were starting. Uh, definitely was a interesting process as far as like the whole concept of college soccer. You know, the level was good. Classes were, man, I don't think either of us were equipped to be taking <laughs> Boston College courses. So we struggled, you know. Your decision, college decision, was that you left early. And I don't think me and you have ever talked about it, but
1: I wish we would have talked. Right. We, I don't, yeah, I don't think we've ever really. The only person I really spoke to about it was Chris Ager. Mm -hmm. But Chris Ager was more mature than us, if you will. Like he was beyond his years and he was always like very philosophical and very, you know. He analyzed and broke down everything. He never he, He's always stood on the fence, you know, seeing both sides. And I like yeah. that about him. So he was the only guy that I really spoke about. I hear it And he's I'll also, tell you a story after uh, yeah. what he said to me one time, which still to this day, I, you know, I say it, I think about it. It was like such a Eureka moment. Cool, man. Chris Ager, he was our captain our senior year. My
0: senior year, great guy from Norway. That was another thing that was... He had a very unbiased opinion cause he came from Europe, you know, very educated very just just no he, he's, he's a cap. He's someone that a professional, you know, mm-hmm. so shout out Chris Ager. I hope to get him on the podcast too. Yeah. But, that's yeah. Yeah, man. He, he he's, he's a dope dude. But What I was about to say is that you made the right decision on leaving college early. You play two seasons. All right, I'm out. I got the experience. It's not what I really thought it was going to be. And boom. Can you talk to us about that that whole process, the college process, and your decision on, you know, leaving early?
1: So, Kev, I mean, that's crazy that we never spoke about it, but I never, I never thought I was going to go pro. You know, I never had intentions of going pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I was only recruited by St. John's in Boston College, and that was very late as well. I was never a national team player. I never, you know – I wasn't as highly recruited as you were, you know, in the youth game. I went up to Boston. I had in my head that I was going to finish college, you know, get a degree and and just work in the city, you know, in New York City. So it all just hit really fast. I think freshman year, you know, we like you said, we had six, seven guys starting, you know, in the ACC. You know, first game was Maryland. Remember, we had 12, it was almost like 12,000 people. First ACC game was a way to... Maryland and we were thrown into the fire so I thought freshman year I had a pretty decent year not good enough where it was like you know people's ears were perking and people were you know following you know like oh this kid is really good he's a freshman this that I think because we had so many freshmen starting it kind of diluted the fact that we were freshmen starting in the ACC you know yeah you're also center back so and a center back as well yeah. Right. So um, after that spring of my freshman year, remember this was like I got so out of shape, Kevin. We were like eating. <laughs> well,
0: you came in the greatest shape freshman year. No, stop playing, bro. Oh, no, because think about it. Let me bring you back, bro. We did the we did the three hundreds and you smacked everybody. Like I was like, no, yo. I
1: smacked this- the first one. S-
0: oh, that's that's
1: <laughs> I smacked the first one, the three hundred yeah and then what we get like a minute break Uh and then you do it again yeah and then i i guess you had
0: the you had the best time and the worst time
1: worst time so that tells you that you're not in shape so like if you're if your numbers are close that shows that you have you know great recovery that you're in shape but if your numbers are staggered and there's a huge difference between them then that pretty much shows you um that you're not in shape the thing is though i didn't have breakfast and um we, it was hot that day, you know, like, yeah. and yeah. I was so anxious. And, you know, you can imagine these yeah. freshmen coming into college, bro. It's like so nerve wracking for yeah. these kids. And like, especially was- for me, my adrenaline was pumping. That first 300, I wanted to kill it. So I killed it on an empty stomach on a hot day in Boston. And then the second one, I just passed out, right? I, I, yeah. And the <laughs> next thing you know it was Ed was on top of me blowing trying to wake me up <laughs> at, at Fordham we we give out the beep test you know the two mile and yeah. and then we keep it moving we, we don't have yeah. enough time with the guys you know where mm-hmm. it's like you can spend it with the Red Bulls I mean in preseason our preseason two months long so it's like you gradually little by little get fit and also one thing I learned was that you don't want to come into the season at your peak you don't want to be by at your now. peak fitness because then come, you know, June, July, midway through the season, you're only going to go down. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting. Whereas like our trainer was like, a Red Bulls, our physio trainer, he was like, look, little by little, little by little, by the first game, you want to be at 70% fitness wise. By yeah. mid, mid-season, mm-hmm. you want to be closer to 90, you know, 95. And then the last stretch of the season is where you want to peak. Yeah, but with yeah. college, it's just so compact and condensed that it's just we get, we
0: get We get three months to get in shape, to make an impression and to get yeah, classes done exactly. bro. a whole semester. So, so
1: then back to the story. I mean, you know, that spring season, we, you know, we were enjoying life, you know, just being college kids. And I was eating whatever the hell I want. You know how much I love Doritos. I was oh, eating man. a bag a day. So bro, me, me and yeah. you had
0: the worst diet,
1: diet. diet. The, worst, <laughs> the worst diet. The worst. Then, yeah, we 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 finish our freshman year, and I go back to Red Bulls. I was still young enough to play for the U A teams. So when I did come back from school, there was some kind of showcase that uh, the U A teams were playing in in Florida. So the head coach called me and he was like, "Hey, Sacha, I know you're around. Do you want to come with us to Florida for the showcase?" And uh, I was, you know, happy to see my friends again you know so I was like oh hell yeah let's go I'm not in shape but I just did a full season in the ACC so I'm like listen even if I'm not in shape I could still probably do well you know just because of the pace of the game in college is so you know hectic and crazy it's so fast that when you go play with the, the UA teams everything is pretty much slow so the first game down at this showcase we played Pumas or or some Mexican team in this showcase, and uh, I had balled out, you know, like I randomly had a really good game, and that was when Thomas Rangan, the U-20 national team coach, Mm -hmm. uh, so he had called Ed to see what my story was. Ed told him, you know, I'm sure some good things, because he called me right after, uh, Thomas Rangan called me right after and said, hey, in two weeks' time, we have uh, a camp in, in San Jose, you know, can you make it? And so I told Tom is wrong. And I was like, look, Tom is, Tom, I'm so out of shape right now. Like I'll come, but just understand I'm so out of shape. And uh, our assistant coach for the U-20 national team was Tim Mulqueen. He's a Jersey guy. He's the one who's credited for like Tim Howard's career. And, you know, all the elite Jersey goalies have came through Tim Mulqueen. So he pushed me, like he pushed me on his end. And uh, that That camp in in San Jose, my touches were, I don't know what it was, Kev, but it was like I wasn't the same player. It was almost like I was possessed. Like, (laughs) I've never played that well in my life. Uh, And it was like, it's something I can't even explain because I was pulling off stuff I could never even imagine I'd do, you know? And so um, after the camp, Amis Rangan, you know, calls me into the lobby, He goes, Sach. you know, getting in shape is easy. You can get in shape in two weeks, three weeks, a month's time. You know, that's the easy part of soccer. He's like, we really like you. You know, the group likes you. They've kind of taken you in. Um, We have the milk cup in another two weeks. I'm going to send you back from here, from this camp. I'm going to send you back to train with the first team, with Red Bull's first team. They're going to put you on some kind of program to speed you up and get you in shape. And then by the time the milk cup comes by, ready to play with us so i was like wow holy shit like fantastic you know like this is awesome this is amazing and then it gets better he goes you know i really like your style i really like your game and uh you know world cup qualifying is next year i want everyone to be a professional on this team everyone's got to be playing pro and so i was like you're telling me that i'm gonna play pro remember at this point I had no intentions of going pro. I didn't think I was like, my Academy coaches never pushed me to first team trainings. No one had ever told me, Oh yeah. You know, you're on the verge or you're close, you know, keep grinding. You know, my Academy coaches, except for one or two had pretty much wrote me off, you know? So I had no idea. He goes to me. Yeah. uh, I'm going to make a phone call into Hans Backe and the Red Bull guys. And, um, You know, you're going to go train with them and I'm going to push for you to get signed. And so he was sitting next to his um, stepson. His stepson was Chris Megaludis. He goes, you know, Chris Megaludis here, he's an agent. Chris, at the time, was working with most of the guys in our in our group. He was working with Bill Hamid, Andy Nahar. Ballers. Ballers. Yeah. He's like, Chris is going to take care of me. So that night, Kev, I went back to my room and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep, bro. I couldn't sleep. I was like, holy shit. I went from the mods at two o'clock in the morning to signing a first team contract in, in a matter of what a month, maybe, you know. And at this all this time I'm out of shape too. Which is oh wow. Crazy, you know. It's like, holy shit, what the hell just hit? Well so then uh, I go back home, I train with the first team. And again, I play possessed. I play possessed. (laughs) I I don't know what had gotten into me. It was almost like like the space jam uh, when the aliens get into the players of the bodies, (laughs) the the bodies of the players, the monsters. (laughs) Yeah, bro. That's how I felt, Kev. I was like, oh, my God. And at that point, I knew I was signing. Right. This was the Mm -hmm. summer I was coming back for sophomore year preseason. Mm-hmm. But I had picked up an injury at the milk cup. Remember, I had a pretty mm-hmm. bad uh, groin yeah. injury.
0: But I had to pay center back because we had no center backs.
1: Yes, that's when you transition to center back. And so like I couldn't shake this injury. Off. I knew going into that season that I was it was, it was my last season with yeah. the, at uh, Boston College. You know, I, I knew at the end of the season, regardless of what happens, I was going to be signing pro. Yeah, I mean, my life literally changed within two months. And Crazy. so I went from, you know, not even thinking I was good enough to be a pro to signing with the first team. A
0: homegrown contract, bro.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is a club that I grew up born and raised, you know, like from days of Metro stars. So. It, for me, it was a dream. It, it was a no-brainer as well.
0: Crazy, man. I, I didn't know that story. I didn't know it went down like that. Um, possessed, bro. It's because you was in Chevy with me, bro. Bumping. <laughs> two in the morning. <laughs> Before we get onto your Red Bulls career and, you know, you're your, uh, signing a contract and playing with on and Rafa Marcus, let's talk a little bit about the college level, uh, about the BC journey. Because I believe that soccer in America can work if the college system is reformed and it has a year-round season. So the biggest flaws is that, you know, these programs are trying to get best soccer out of kids in three months. And on top of that, give them workloads of school and you're missing half of the class. So it's a big responsibility and a big mountain to climb. But if you put all of that aside, it's a good level.
1: I think it's malpractice, honestly, you know, three months Mm -hmm. of a whole year. and, And, you know, at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, man, you know, in Europe, at that age, you're playing professional, you're playing all year round. And those are the yeah. most, you know, developmental years of a player's career, you know, so it's like, mm-hmm. for a kid to only be playing three months of a year is really, you know, tragedy. It's a tragedy. And I mean, I remember going to, well, I was at Red Bull, we had the, um, the Arsenal Cup, you know, it was like Thierry Henry, um, going back to um, whatever their stadium is called, but I think Red Bulls, uh, Salzburg came. Arsenal was there. It was like a four team tournament, and yeah. I didn't get called for that that uh, that trip. And so I was talking to one of my teammates who's uh, Danish. He was playing; he's big time Danish guy at the mo- at the time. And I was like, "Oh, Brian, you know, I didn't get called. It's probably because I'm young, you know, like. But it sucks. I wanna I wanna be on the trip." He's like, "Sach, how old are you?" And I was like, "I'm 19 years old." He goes, "My friend." 19 years old in Europe, he goes, you're, you're almost a, not a veteran, but like you're already established at clubs. Yeah. You're not young at 19 years old in Europe, you know? Yeah. So imagine that, you know, kids at 18, 19 years old, they're only playing three months. That's for me, it's crazy. It doesn't make
0: sense. None of our system makes sense, bro. Mm-hmm. None of it's connected.
1: Mm-hmm. None of it. Kev, you got to think about it uh, money-wise. It's like to run a whole season all year long costs colleges a lot, a lot. And on top of that, salaries ha- need to be raised. You know, like you yeah. need to get paid for a whole year. You Facts. know,
0: OK, look. But look, we look at NCAA March Madness. That shows me that there's a market for amateur sports. So I know we're far behind. But like, bro, if everything was for the players and marketed for talent and the best talent in the country, that gives us a better access and a better pool to select and believe me bro these universities are gonna get their money if it's marketed right because soccer is a marketable sport up-and-coming hipster sport it's a cool sport so i see how crazy i don't even care about ncaa basketball but i'd be tuned in watching betting like so i i can see that
1: yeah but there's but the athletic- thing is kev look 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 at this like we had we had a lot of remember our games in Newton, you know our ACC games we had like five thousand sometimes four thousand people at our games you know yeah. like that you can you can generate some kind of revenue there but like for example here at Fordham now we make we win the A10 and uh, you know we make we make it to the second round of NCAA we lose to Marshall who are eventual champs but like we can't even pull in a hundred people into our into our game so it's mm-hmm. like. Some schools will can keep up, right? Mm-hmm. Some schools can keep up with the money stuff all year round. Mm-hmm. But then schools like mid table schools like Ryder, say, for example, around here, Ryder, FDU, you know, these guys couldn't go a year long. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. there's a lot behind it. I think it's close. I think it's getting there to go yeah. all year round. Yeah. But it's not as easy as you think. But it's also
0: because the whole system is in shambles. No system is connected. Like there's no a- busy part about amateur leagues, bro. Is that the USL is older than the MLS, and the USL and the MLS are not connected, and the USL and the USL, well, USL well, two are not connected.
1: How it is? Well, USL two and USL's umbrella, Kev. Uh huh. It starts at the USL Championship, right? That's the, yeah. the league you know mm-hmm. that we all know. Then underneath that, they have a USL-1. Uh-huh. That's L one there goes USL-2, and that's like PDL. You know, that's the college. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So then, um, I mean, uh, USL kind of hitched their wagon on MLS. In the current times, I think they might be moving away from each other, I uh-huh. think. But for the past five years, I was like, oh, wow, USL is smart, because instead of fighting MLS, they hitched their wagon on MLS, and. Right. They took in the LA Galaxy 2. They took in Red Bull 2. You know, like they take in all these MLS 2 teams. What's happening, what I hear through the grapevines now is that the MLS um, second teams, they're going to kind of branch away from the USL championship and start their own. um, That's good, bro. Yeah, there's yeah. And that's another thing I'll talk about as well. I'm glad to hear that
0: Yeah, because I feel like a lot of our players from our generation that got drafted our years, They got put onto the twos and then their careers, they're just dissolved. the
1: thing is, they're lucky because when I was with Red Bulls, they didn't even have a two. So I went again as a 19 year old, not playing one game all year, just training all year. You know, so it was like, bro, that was that's bad. You know, you need to play games. I always tell all these players that I talk to, it don't matter where you go as long as you're playing games consistently. I hear you like, sometimes it's good to just take a step down and play 90 minutes instead of going to, you know, a big club and sitting on the bench. It's, it's actually mm-hmm.
0: counterproductive. I hear you. I hear you. Um, mm-hmm. How would you compare the college level from our time 2009 to 2013 to the level
1: that is now? Is it
0: better? Is it good? Is it,
1: I couldn't, I mean, one takeaway, cause I'm, still relatively new, you know, I'm only three years into the college game, but, uh, one takeaway so was that back in the, when we were playing, there were difference makers, right? Like every team pretty much had a difference maker and, uh, players that can unlock teams nowadays in college, it's except for maybe the top five school, right? Your, your Clemson's, your, you know, your UVA's whoever's, you know, your top five in, in, in the current year, Mm -hmm. except for them five, Everyone else underneath can beat each other because there's not many difference makers anymore. And so any team can just pull up on that day, you know, be organized, sit in, make it compact, make it hard, make it difficult. And, you know, you can sneak out with a one zero win, you know, so I think the level of playing field is a lot uh, even now. Just because your special players aren't, I wouldn't say aren't going to college, but your special players are at USL teams on MLS oh, wow. contracts. You know, are wow. on, you know That's, on deal?
0: I've never seen it that way, but that makes a lot of sense, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like, but let yeah. me let me say so. Uh, even level across the country here in the U.S. So think about it uh, marketing-wise. Anybody could beat anybody, upset city. You can market all that, bring all that revenue that we love about March Madness basketball. And I know, I did not know that's...
1: Yeah, that's how it is, Kev. That's Mm -hmm. what I, that's my takeaway. As far as the play, the level, I mean, the play, style of play and the level of play, I mean, it's hard because I'd be biased, right? I think I see the game a lot more different now that I'm older and I'm a coach, And so I think the way I played at Boston College, if I was coaching myself, I'd smack me, you know, smack me silly. Like, you know, remember, I always wanted to play out of everything. I always wanted to pass. I always wanted to thread the needle. I always wanted. to. So it was like I I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you um, a truthful and meaningful difference between how the game was back in the day when we were playing and how it is now. I hear you. The thing is, Kev, I can tell you one thing, though. I don't remember it being this fast of a pace. I think yeah. wow, like you hardly have time to breathe in these games, you know, and I don't know if it's because it's the Fordham style of play and you know, just the way we play and our opponents and you know how whatnot. But my experience of Fordham is every game that we've played has been at a thousand miles an hour, yeah. which is yeah you can take some good things out of it, you know, like you can take some good things and bad things out of it. That's that's what I was going to say, bro. When you do play, when you do play, like we played Clemson last year. And at the time, I think there were two in the nation or something like that. But um, we played them. The game was almost like in slow motion, you know, because they would pass, they'd go East to West, they'd connect, it'd be calculated. So for us, it was like, all right, you can make that pass to the right back. And we'll, we'll cover it, you know, we'll make it to the right back. Yeah. And it was, like, almost easy, you know. So, yeah. like, holy shit, you know, like, they're not jamming it down our throat. Yeah. You yeah. know, where it's just you're, you're yeah. losing your head. Yeah. So, um it was easier to play the Clemsons and the and the possession-based teams. Okay. A UMass, you know, who's direct and, you know, who tries yeah. to score it from anywhere on the field. You know, they could be... On their goal line, and you're still worried that they, in two passes, they can be at your, your at your goal. You know, so, exactly. So that's why teams like Marshall, like the, that we played in the, first, the second round of NCAA, we only lost to them with five minutes left in, or something like that, in overtime. Mm-hmm. You know, because they were calculated. They went side to side. And by the way, Kev, that's one of the best college teams I've seen, even in our time. That Marshall wow. team. Yes. W- so good man i, I saw so. their
0: run bro they had a cinderella run this year so congrats to them i actually reached out to a few players to so hopefully get them on the podcast and and you know yeah, i can i experience. can
1: yeah i can uh put you on with some of the guys there's a funny story real quick they're right back uh actually came from the german club i was at really so at hessen castle i was with the first team i guess at the time he was with the u-17s or you know one of the youth teams And I had saw him in, I was doing my homework, right? I was recruiting, scouting, you know, looking up their players. And I see this one kid from Hessen Castle. I'm like, oh, snap, you know, like, uh, he must know who I am, you know, because I never really trained with the 17s. I never trained with the young guys. But back in Germany, it's amazing because, you know, these kids look up to the first team players. And at the time, we we had a really good run. So I was like, oh, maybe he knows me. And I run into him in the hotel, in the elevator, just him and I. Wow. And we chopped it up. And uh, yeah, man, he was a captain starting right back from Marshall. Great player. I can reach out to him if you want. Him man, to that would be that would be dope because yeah.
0: they, their story has to be told. Not the run has to be told, the Cinderella run that, that has to, that, you know, they just did has to be documented. Yep. But the college experience also hope to cover. And that's one of the main focuses of the platform. I want to get the perspective because I really think that the college level could work, bro. Like you just said, Absolutely. it's. It's a, it's a level playing field. If you're organized, anybody could be anybody. There's big athletic, always going to be athletic because America always has the best athletes, bro. So I really think that if it's done right, it could be our main source of recruitment across the country. So
1: Absolutely.
0: it's, yeah, man, I'm glad you're at Fordham. I'm glad, you know, to get your insight. In. So you're an assistant at Fordham in New York, D1 program, but you're also the head coach of an PSL team. And you just joined the USL too. So you're balancing two leagues with FC Motown as a head coach. Tell us about that experience because you guys have phenomenal talent, bro.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, it's interesting, Kev. Um, I can't coach the USL Two because there's some Fordham guys on, on that team. So it's, uh, it'd be illegal. Interest. But the yeah. thing is, it's funny that you asked that because I'm trying to transition out of coaching Motown um, and trying to... So our product on the field doesn't match our product off the field, Kev. Like, you know, we have great players. We have, you know, we're a good team. You know, we have guys that have played in MLS, played at the highest level. The thing is, there's only four of us. There's myself, uh, two owners, Scott and Dan. And then he he was my assistant, Alan McClintock, who's an assistant coach at Drew University. So it's only four of us really running the club so mm-hmm. i said to alan look you you take the usl2 guys um i'll take the npsl for this season and then i'll slowly transition out to like a sporting director ro- role you know and i'll try to build this club out with an academy That's you know dope. get fans in the stands you know uh let's go just like try to build something legit um off the field and i found passion in that you know it's like it's kind of getting stale i've been doing it for seven seven or eight years now you know coaching motown so sometimes it's it's nice to get some new blood injected you know so this would be my last year probably coaching with mpsl and then next year um you know i'll try to build this club out off the field you know and challenge myself in a different way you know
0: bro that's big moves that i respect that I love to hear that, bro. I love that you're behind all that because you get, bro. You've been with this club for seven years. Um, And to I believe that the USL and all these leagues, these blue collar leagues with these type of players are the leagues that are going to elevate the sport of soccer here in America if somehow we can make it work. Right, because like you said, there's phenomenal talent. Dilly Duca was playing with you, right? If there if there's someone I need you to put a word word in with, it's Dilly Duca, bro.
1: Yo, I'm doing a podcast right now, bro. I got took a little commercial break. Um, <laughs> I should be done by ten. What's up, bro. I like this shit. Yeah, it's my roommate from college. Yo, word up. Thank you, bro. Oh, and
0: if you know, we hear that we have no identity in the U.S. We hear that we got no culture in the U.S. But no one really tells us what culture is how you build culture, right? So for you to be trying to build, getting people in the stands, grow this club that has exceptional talent, respect, bro. That's how you build culture. That's how you give a community something to play for. You know, everything that feeds into this club is going to be better for the players, better for us to select that talent. So respect, bro. I'm glad you're doing that. Thank you, bro. All right. Yeah. So yeah, man, let's transition now into your pro career. You signed a homegrown contract with the Red Bull, who is your hometown club. I'm sure that was an amazing feeling. I am I was so happy to see. I was happy that you were leaving out of Boston College to sign pro, bro. Like, I was like, man, hell yeah, I'm glad my dog's doing it. Yeah, let's talk to us about that experience. Um, Do I?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I'll keep it short and sweet, but yeah, because I can go on for days about this. And, yeah. you know, it, it took me a while kind of to get over. It took years to kind of I hear you, I hear put you, it to I bed. But um, I think that, was it, was it premature? I think, sure. You know, like, but looking back, it's always easy to play Monday morning quarterback, right? Like, it's always easy to look back and say, you should have done this, should have done yeah. that, should have done this. So at the time, Red Bulls was, they had we had Timo Tanio, who had played for Tottenham, beat Chelsea, I think, in the FA Cup. You know, this guy was huge. We had Frank Ross, German national team goalie. We had rafa marquez you know i don't even need legend. to tell you him legend we had thierry henry we had a team full of superstars it's you know it was equivalent to like a man city right mm-hmm. so as a young player right like think about it in england where do you think you have a better chance of breaking through at man city or at you know sheffield united you know sheffield, like
0: United all bro. obviously
1: so like at the time Red Bulls kind of threw a lot of money into players and, you know, winning a championship. So for a young player, it was the worst place to be. Even right. at the, the same thing with LA Galaxy at the time. You know, there's those were the two teams, you know, who had the biggest budgets and had, you know, the biggest stars. David Beckham, Robbie Keane. You know, these were, these were huge, huge um, clubs, you know, that depended on winning a championship. You know, so for a coach, especially a European coach who was, Hans Bakke, our coach for Red Bulls. He was the assistant coach at Man City for Sven Goran Eriksson. He was the assistant coach at Mexico national team with Sven. Like this is a big time coach as well. So he's not taking a chance on a 19 year old American kid when he can just go out and buy a William Conde, you know, like a guy that's, you know, super experienced and played at a high level. So For me, it wasn't a good place to be at as a young player. Touch that on that because
0: I have, you said, bro, no coach is going to, no coach, no team, no league here in America is going to take a chance on a 19 year old when they can go buy a superstar that's ending their career in Europe, right? So I have, I love the league, bro. I love the MLS. You know, I'm going to die hard.
1: Me too, right?
0: So let me ask you this. Let me bring up this point real quick. I really think that. That's what's hurting our league, paying these big money to the DP. I think the DP, yeah. as far as like David Beckham was breakthrough and David Beckham cool, but I really think that's what's ruining in our league because it's taken away from young talent. How are you supposed to compete? How is a 19-year-old American kid like you supposed to compete with Rafa Marquez to play center back?
1: Yeah, so it's it's a tough one, Kev, because we're just so young in our league um, that you need – to bring in players like that and you need you. to okay. so like think about it the EPL if you if you know the EPL in the 90s 1990s um or let's make it even safe like the 1980s wasn't a good league bro like th- that was never a good league my dad used to tell me like the Italian league was good the Spanish Back. league was good but EPL was, wasn't good because it was all homegrown, right? It was yeah. all English players. It was the Roy Keens. It was uh, Alan Shears. So it was the 90s is when you saw that transition, when they started bringing in, you know, outside talent. And then it became what it is, right? It became yeah, yeah. the best league in the world. But yeah, that's yeah. only because they started bringing in outside talent, you know? So Because
0: I think they changed the rules, too, of the league or some stuff. And yeah, the exactly. Back in the day, you too. can only
1: have, yeah, you can only have, I think it was like three foreign players yeah. or something like that. So in order for the EPL to grow into what it was or is, they needed to go outside and bring those superstars, bring those. And so now you have to find the right balance of bringing in the superstars and bringing attention to the league, but also at the same time developing your own players. Very you good know? point.
0: Very good point, bro. So it's like,
1: Fact. it's tough. It's tough because I know I used to think that, that way as well. But then I was like, listen, you got it. You, you got it. Balotelli, I mean, sorry, Balotelli. That's a terrible example. But, <laughs> like, yeah, I know. but like these big European superstars, they're not coming, you know, in, in 96, 97, 98 or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. The only reason they were coming was because like guys like Yuri Jerkov, and you know these big time guys they come to la and they come to new york just to live there you know they're George not really best coming to play. la yeah you know so it's like but now you're starting to see you know young players that you know mm-hmm. Giovinco leaving juventus at what a, young b-
0: age. what a baller bro so great point because that's what i was going to bring it's up a next. fine balance it's a fine yeah.
1: balance that we need to strike
0: facts you see Atlanta united doing it well they bring joseph martinez they're very to the uh Alviron, Almiron, he went on Al-Miron, to play. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so they're doing it right. They're spending mm-hmm. the money on young South American talent, which that's what you want to bring, bro. Someone that's still. But hungry. they also
1: got that touch of American in them. You know, they got the Americans playing too. The young players. So that's like that's, that's what ideal, I'm right? Mm-hmm. That's ideal. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, that's that. That's what would be ideal for our league to have a balance of young, promising
1: players, foreign talent. It's like look foreign, at the Mexican league, Kev. I mean, they got. Gignac from France coming in, they got all these big superstars from South America, this, that, you know, these are big time players. But at the same time, don't they have some rule where it's like young players must play like 30% of the games, you know, yeah. like if you're signed to a first team contract, right? Yeah. So it's like you need a balance of both. It's just yeah. striking the, the right balance. Yeah.
0: And it's it's also you have to think about how much bigger this market is. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to bring the David Beckham and try to sell the seats. I understand that, but mm-hmm. obviously, you know, as a fan, as someone that's grown with the league, I want to cheer for people like you who've signed homegrown contracts. I wanted mm-hmm. to see Charlie Rugg play for the LA Galaxy, but they brought an yeah. in instant buttle and let mm-hmm. my man go.
1: You know what that guy had everything to fit in LA. So Charlie went to another, like, like me, he fell victim to another team where it was like, Facts. you know, he had Edson Butler, he had uh, Robbie Keane, he had, like you know, like superstars yeah, in yeah. front of him. So it was like, how is a college kid going to break through? He's got Bruce Arena as his coach. You know, th- this, is not, this is not some, you know, rookie coach. This is, you know, one of the most well-respected guys in, in the U.S. that's got to win a championship, you know, Facts. in a tough market
0: facts so, that that's yeah. the that's the hard truth and that you know it makes a lot of sense and it's very clear how you put it bro because people need to know that that's why think, you man. know so mm-hmm. i'm I, you know this is th- what this platform is about is you wonder why we're good and we need answers and no one's doing it so i want to search for answers like this and it makes a mm-hmm. lot of sense it educates me to share you know because i love this league but like i said i really think that the best athletes here are here and this could be a super league in not 100
1: years, bro, in like 20, 20 years so. Our kids could maybe play in there. Kev, there's no other league in the world that has progressed as much as we have. Facts. Like, people can shit on MLS all day, Facts. all you want. But at the end of the day, no other league. The EPL, all these other leagues have been around for 200 years. You know, more. I hear 150. You. Bro, we've been around for... 25.
0: It's our, tw- it's our 25th year this year.
1: 25th year, bro. We went... Mm-hmm. From zero to hundred in twenty five years.
0: I hear you. I hear so, you. So that, that's a g- very great point, bro. So uh, definitely, uh, that's uh, why I'm telling you, MLS needs a, needs a respect, bro. I that's why I'm a diehard fa- Galaxy fan, and that's why, bro, I really think that honestly, that the MLS was the main reason why I wanted to start this podcast. I didn't think mm-hmm. I was gonna dive into youth development and the system development. I just wanted to talk MLS because I that's what I like. I yeah. League, you know, but. Yep. that's a very good point that you said there's no other league that's grown as much of us in history of soccer so very you know we definitely people have to recognize that people yeah. have got to recognize that this is this is a league full of talent this is a promising league and once we get the market once we get all the system it's over bro so that's why i believe yep. 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 that we have to yep.
1: stick it stick together and yeah it's never going to be a you know um an easy ride. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be. <laughs> but but it can be done. And I feel
0: like a lot of people. don't oh, think yeah. it can be done. Oh, you know, yeah. A lot of pe- if I a lot an of people- investor,
1: I'd throw all my I would have thrown all my eggs into the MLS a long time ago. Say that again. Say that again, please. Easily. I would have thrown all my all my money. I put the house on MLS even back in 2000. I just think that at the end of the day, American business owners are the. Sh- probably the sharpest you know in the world and there's a reason why you know america is so successful it's because it's ran by capitalist guys like this mm-hmm. who you know at the end of the day win bro we win at the end of the day i hear you and also you know? see- it's like mls is gonna win at the end of the day it might be you know 20 years from now it could be five years from now but at some point it's not a matter of if it's just a matter of when mls wins
0: that's music to my ears. That's music to America, bro. Well said, my Absolutely. brother. Let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about a little bit about the league. Who are the teams that you follow? Obviously, you're a Jersey guy. Obviously, you play for Red Bull. So,
1: um, yeah, you know, there's. uh, So I love the West Coast teams, mm-hmm. Kev. The West Coast teams are there. It's like it's almost comparable to the NBA. It's like, yeah, the West Coast teams. Well, the, you know, those games are so fun to watch. I mean, I stay up, you know, late my dad comes home around 10 10 11 and we'll watch portland timbers we'll watch you know the Sounders. Sounders. We'll it's watch. Like, really really enjoyable so i love watching the west coast games and then my best friend is Medi. he's the assistant coach at nycfc so i follow them and i'll follow obviously red bulls too you know mm-hmm. but uh you know other than that like I, I won't tune in to revolution game or you know uh <laughs> inter miami nashville like you know those markets i i don't really have time to watch i hear you and but like all the prime time games especially the later ones i'll watch all of those you know
0: yeah man they're fun to watch portland Mm -hmm. uh the sounders have a good following lafc has a good following la galaxy i think the sounders are gonna take it this year they're they're stacked bro freddie montero just got back roy diaz is there What's to do with the man bun? Nasty, bro. Um, bro, they're good, man. They're a fun good. team to watch. Exactly, fun, bro. So, I, I'm, it's good to hear that you're tuned in and, and you love watching this league because, bro, I know that I'm not alone. I know that because I be I watch every game, bro. Like I follow the MLS more than I do the EPO. Like, I'm not going to Me
1: too, bro. Me too. <laughs> me too. Me too, bro. Let
0: me ask you one last question about Red Bull and your experience there, bro. You played with Thierry Henry and Rafa Marquez. Those are the Our generation, goats, bro. Mexican goat, French goat. So I wanna, I wanna hear you know some stories. Um,
1: I'll keep the ones off the record for when we grab a beer, you and I. But um, I mean, look, Rafa Marquez. This is a guy, you know, that was just so elegant. I almost, I compare him to, you know, the Roger Federer of uh of soccer you know he was just so elegant man it was just so fun to watch him because he just made it look so effortless you know but at the same time you almost expect guys that make it that nonchalant and that effortless to be soft you know but at the same time this is a guy that Mm -hmm. got stuck in like he wasn't afraid to roll up his sleeves and you know do put in the dirty work but man, when he was on the ball, his range of passing was just a beauty to watch. I mean, it was it was beauty. And then Thierry, I don't think Thierry was as special as as uh, as Rafa uh, was because listen, athletic players age differently, right? Like they yeah. they don't age like your finesse guys. The finesse always stays there, regardless of you know how old you get. You know, like. Yeah. The finesse is always going to stay but bro, class is permanent yeah exactly so i mean Thierry kind of his career was reliant on his speed his athleticism his agility and his goal scoring abilities so when he was at red bull you know all of that kind of died out you know his his athleticism his speed listen finishing wise unbelievable yeah but you know how we got captivated by his runs, bro. He would pick yeah. up the ball at midfield. I remember on Arsenal at Highbury, he'd pick up the ball at midfield. In three steps, he's in the <laughs> box. You know, he's yeah. just gliding past players. So those mesmerizing times I didn't see with Thierry. And uh, he didn't really train too hard as well, too. You know, he was older. You know, his mm-hmm. body was kind of breaking down. So... He just made sure he was ready for the game on the weekend, you know? I hear you. Um, so during training, I went up against him every single day, you know, like every day I was, you know, going up against him. He was on the first team. You know, I was on the, on the, you know, bottom half of the roster. So when we did 11v11, he'd be posted up against me. So in our locker rooms, lockers were right next to each other. And, uh, you know, we had good, All right. We had some good fights and some good, you know, laughs. And I have so many good stories with him. But that guy, his aura, man, Kev, it's when he's in a room and he says something, you listen, you know, like you want to listen just because of how confident he is. And, you know, like he when he walks into the room, you know, he's he's in there like Tony Parker can't. He used to bring celebrities all the time, you know, to training and to, you know, he, they'd come to the facility. Tony Parker would be sleeping on the couch, you know, like That's we'd scary. come back from training and he'd be sleeping. And this is when he was dating Eva Longoria. So he was yeah. kind of, you know, the spurs were nasty at the time. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't even know he was there. You know, he you, you wouldn't even know he was there. He's just a quiet guy. But regardless whether what sport You play in if Terry Henry walked into your room, you knew he was special, you know. Yeah. So that was pretty cool about him. And then Rafa was just a silent assassin, you know. He was just a (laughs) smooth criminal, bro.
0: That's awesome, bro.
1: I'm glad you had to experience that because those it's good to see Terry
0: Henry transition to the coaching world because I feel like he has so much influence and he he's gonna elevate the game of soccer, bro. The corruption, the racism,
1: he's gonna stand for it. So yeah but uh you know i mean he hasn't really done that well kev i mean yeah his track record is not the best i think for certain guys like him it's tough to transition into being a coach because Mm -hmm. you're so opinionated and you're such an alpha male okay that look at the end of the day zidane and you look at the best coaches kev Mm -hmm. if you name them all right now none of them were superstars other than zidane there are yeah, there are more. None you, of them you, were superstars. None of Klopp was played in the yeah. second division in Germany. Mourinho hardly even played. Um, what's his name? Uh the one that was at Tanam that just left. Um yeah. Chitino. But was of? good. He played out of you know, PSG, he played out a high level, mm-hmm. but he's also you can see the difference between him, he's and and Z uh what's his uh Thierry, mm-hmm. right? These are soft-spoken guys, yeah. Where it's like They can walk into the room and be confident in themselves, but also give the players. Look, these are Mm -hmm. superstars. These are guys making fifteen million dollars a year. You Mm -hmm. can't just walk into a locker room and be like, "Hey, do this, do that, do that." You know, like, yeah. Sooner or later, a player. It don't matter who, anyone on PSG or anyone on you know these big clubs. They'll just be like, "Fuck off, bro." You know, (laughs) I don't care that you you know you've played. 15 years ago that you're a superstar. Mm -hmm. I make $15 million a year. I have an entourage of 20 behind me that are in my ears. So Medi actually, the NYCFC coaching staff, I guess, and Una Emery did a Zoom call and they were picking his brain. And so they asked him, they were like, what was it like coaching at PSG? He goes, it was the hardest point of my career. He goes, it was the hardest challenge I've ever had in my life because Think about it. You have 20 players that can easily start on most Champions League teams that are making a lot of money at one of the best clubs, right? In one of the best metropolitan cities in the world with entourages of 10 or more people, right? So it's like, I would tell Julian Draxel, whatever his name is, that German kid, he's not starting, he's not playing this weekend. So instead of him putting his head down and, you know, um, trying to work for a spot or understanding why he didn't, he's not starting this weekend, this kid goes home and he's got his mother, his brother, his, you know, his cousins, he's got his friends, he's got this. They're all in his ear chirping like, Una Emery's an idiot. Like, you should be mm. starting. I can't believe it. Like, how are you not starting? Like, that's such bullshit. You know, so it's like everyone's trying to de- derail coach if you're not happy. So it was imagine that, you know, like that's that's not easy to manage. So guys like Terry Henry, who are very opinionated and go and tell Julian Draxler, yo, you're not starting this weekend, you're not good enough, yeah. or you something like that, you lose a whole locker room. They can Thanks. flip on you so fast. Once you lose the locker room and it can happen just like this, you're toast no matter who you are. So that's Knowledge, why I don't know. Bro. Maybe Terry's a little bit. I don't know if he's really cut out for the coach and stuff. I mean, there, did you see that one clip when he was coaching at Montreal? It, it oh, like, he's uh, on the sideline. On the side. Did you hear some of the things he was saying?
0: Yeah. As he a player, ripping, you don't
1: want to hear that. He was ripping his place. So now imagine him telling. Did you see what he did at Monaco, Kev?
0: No.
1: He he, right. So they went through like a bad spell, uh-huh. bro. He sent everyone. Like the first team guys, he sent them home and he brought it was like a league game. He was like, Our guy, our first team guys aren't playing well enough, they're not fighting for the badge, they're not fighting for the club. He brought up a bunch of U19 players or whatever the U23s. Oh, toast after he man. did that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you it's different, it's different when you start coaching, you know. So there are. let's see, let's see how he does. But man, I think it's hard fun. for guys like that to transition.
0: Bro, that's a lot of knowledge, bro. Mind blown, I, man, about the coaching stuff, because I, I aspire to be a D1 co- uh, coach and maybe go in the pros, maybe USL, you know, in, in my next five, four, you know, four or five years. Um, so a lot of information you just gave out. Um, Absolutely. Let's transition to talk a little bit of US soccer. You were, um, you know, part of the national team, Thomas Rongen, legend. So Mm -hmm. where do you, you know, obviously we didn't qualify for the last World Cup. We haven't qualified to the last two Olympics. So where U.S. soccer is at a hard place. Where do you
1: think U.S. soccer is going to be in two, three years, realistically? So uh, I think a lot of people, Twitter and social media nowadays helped and destroyed in so many ways. So I think there's a huge overreaction in the Olympic not qualifying for the Olympics this mm-hmm. past Olympics, because you never really get judged off, you yeah. know, you're, your no one takes 20- their
0: best. No one takes their best players to the Olympics. Uh,
1: you know, it's like, okay, you know, just because you have a good U23 team doesn't mean your first team's nasty, you know, like yeah. okay, it can foreshadow, you know, a potential, uh, trend upwards, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really say yeah. anything I- concrete. Like, all the African teams, remember, like Nigeria and all these teams, they always used to win the U seventeen World yeah. Cup. They used to That's- win the twenty, like you know the Olympics, and you know so. But what they do with the first team, you know, like they're not super powerhouses. I think that our country's tough. Kev, we have such a big melting pot. So many different philosophies so many different ideas so many different um uh how do i say this like for example germany right it's easy to get everyone in germany on the same page because everyone kind of you know especially the germans they have some kind of foundation right they have a national identity you know like when you think of germans you there's one thing that automatically pops up you know there's one thing you know they're they're very—they're uh, workhorses, right? They're like machines, they're robots, they're, you know. in like Spa- Spain, right? You think of a Spanish player, technical, you know, good on the ball, you know. That's all they—they they train. You think of English guys crossing balls, you know, hitting diagonals, you know. Like so, everyone's kind of got their foundation and philosophy. Whereas America, bro, is just so big. We got—it's such a big country with so many different identities so it's like how do you get everyone on the same page you can't it's just too hard it's too hard so it's like we have an identity crisis you know we do have an identity crisis we're hoping to change it i mean but i know u.s soccer as you know the bob bradley the bruce arenas our foundation and our non-negotiable is that we'll rise to the occasion no matter what you know like we'll fight we'll we'll um We're never afraid to take on any challenge, right? Like it don't matter who U.S. is playing on the day. Like we're going to compete in battle. It's never going to be an easy win. You know, like look at all the World Cups that we played uh, in um, 2006, you know, 2010. Like we played Italy. We played uh, Belgium. We played Germany, Germany, England. Like we've played huge, huge nations, you know, soccer nations. Not one time did we get. Ran off the field, you know, because we always compete. And I think that's our foundation is that our locker room is always blue collared and always ready to roll up the sleeves and start fighting. We're transitioning a little bit away from that, where it's like now we're getting a little bit more of the talent, the finesse guys, you know, but you can't, you can't, bro. Remember Jade Demerit, the center back? Yeah. This is a guy with hardly any skill. Hardly any skill, but but he was a modern that, day Alexi Lalas. Exactly. So it's like <laughs> we're losing a little bit of that and we're gaining a lot more talent. Mm-hmm. So I think the way we're going right now is perfect. I don't care what people say. People can talk smack all day. Oh, we didn't qualify for this. We didn't qualify for that. Bro, our, our youth is, <laughs> bro, one's playing at Barcelona. One's just won a Champions mm-hmm. League. When we were playing, who was playing in uh, in Champions League? You couldn't even name me a, a player that was in Champions League, you know? Now we have 10, 10 15 players in Champions League, you know, playing cha- Champions League. So that's huge, man. You know, that shows a lot of progression. People can hate and talk. And that's why Twitter and all these social media platforms, you know, are, are kind of negative, you know, because it turns a little brush fire into a into a house fire you know like it just kind of piles on dirt it's like you know the there's so much animosity and anger after every little setback yeah Yeah. but if you look at the bigger picture though we're flying man we're flying and i'm telling you in 20 years or 10 years you know like bro we're gonna be a, a powerhouse you know, easily, easily. A lot of great
0: points you made, bro. I love your stance on American soccer. I love that you believe and I believe it, too. Absolutely. I believe we have everything we need to be dominant powerhouse in the game of soccer. We're going to close it out, but I'm going to be in New York next month, bro. So I'm hoping to do a part two to this interview in person because there's so much we could have gotten. We could have dove in deeper. But, uh, we covered enough in this one that I feel like we have to give people enough time to digest this before we go into our next one.
1: Days, Kevin. <laughs> days. I mean, you remember those nights we stayed up all night just talking, yeah. You know, I remember I told you UVA was going to be national champion, champions in preseason. <laughs> you remember, called I said it. You, you. you called it, you called, I called it. it, I called it, you called bro, it. They we were nasty, up all bro. day and night talking, bro. We can talk all day, so <laughs> yeah, man, when you get into to New York, you know. Hit me up and we'll meet up and catch up and, you know, continue.
0: Facts, bro. Thanks for your time, bro. Like I said, a lot of good knowledge. You made a lot of good points. All the experience that you, said, you shared, very knowledgeable. So thanks.